You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. Welcome to the pinnacle of wrestling entertainment, Premier Streaming Network. Join us at watchonpremier.com to unlock the ultimate wrestling experience, curated to perfection. Immerse yourself in the spectacular world of wrestling history, where classic battles and unforgettable moments are at your fingertips. Join us today and experience the epitome of curated wrestling content, because when it comes to wrestling entertainment, Premier sets the standard. Be Premier. All right. Hey, everybody. This is Dominic D'Angelo of, uh, geez, where am I? Inside. And this is Rob Van Dam. And that's Rob Van Dam right there. And this is episode, I want to say it's 17 of One of a Kind. And yes, hey. Rob, how you doing today, man? Uh, excellent, dude. Very good, man. This week went by so quick. I can't believe it's trash day again already. Like, it was like I just pulled my trash cans in from the curb and uh, pulling them right back out tonight. I hope. I forget, like, sometimes a couple of weeks in a row and that shit piles up. But that's oh, the plan. <laughs> that's a tough thing. I know. I don't, I don't. I got a dumpster in the back of my apartment complex, so I just throw my junk in there, and then I don't worry about it. So I can only imagine. It's like, oh God, I would always forget to take the trash out. I know I would. It just happened. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But anyway, dude, all good. Fantastic, as the kids are saying nowadays. That's the way to do it. That and te- <laughs> heck, man, it was fantastic seeing you this past uh, weekend at Starcast. We uh, we did a little stage show and. Uh, had a little reaction with fans and stuff, so that was pretty cool. Yes, indeed, that was cool. Yeah, was we got cool. we got to talk about the chic and um, yeah, interact with some people, and then um, the fire alarm went off on us uh, while we were still in the hotel, and so we did the job to that for a little bit. But yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, didn't didn't hurt the tables one bit, at least not where we were. Nope, nope, not at all. We were <laughs> not not in the least. But yeah, it was uh, fun. Got to see a lot of. Friends, um, the Hardy Boys hung out with them a lot, and uh, Rick Steiner. Real quick, I saw uh, um, Marty Jannetty downstairs. Real quick, that's right. Yeah, yeah. A lot of a lot of people were just like real quick, real quick. Jeff Jarrett and Karen Jarrett, Cody Jarrett. Yep. And then uh, you also you ran into Kawada too. Oh my God, dude! Thank you for reminding me, man. That. I, I forgot, like, I just, that flashed in my mind earlier because I was doing an interview for the Battle Creek show coming up for the radio. And I was talking about how, you know, the chic trained me so stiff, no one wanted to work with us. And then Al Snow and Mike Kelly worked on us lightening up. And then in Japan, they, they wouldn't react to us, so I stiffened up again. And I was thinking of Kawada, and that was so awesome to see him. Uh, at Starcast because um, I can't imagine the last time I saw him. I mean, ninety nine at the latest. It was probably much earlier, probably much before that. And uh, and he looked great. You know, he he still it was almost emotionless for the most part. But he used to you know used to be heavier and have you know grays that went away. And he and he just overall always looked miserable. You know. Um, Maybe like Billy Gunn. <laughs> Maybe like Billy Gunn. <laughs> <laughs> but he would always, he would always have that scowl, and um, and and just to see him, man, he thinned up. He lost a lot of 
weight. He looked healthy, and uh, he looked younger, actually. You know, like, uh, he must be on my program. It was awesome to see him, though. Yeah. And he's kicked the shit out of me and stuff. I said, I owe you some receipts. You did tell him that. Yeah. They're trying to translate. Uh, I was like, never mind, Joe Dunn. (laughs) You had your Japanese down pretty good, though. He was laughing at it, though. (laughs) (laughs) So he was always like, he was very stoic. Like, yeah, very much, um, you know, was he always like that? too? Yeah, always. He was stoic, but he was really stiff in the ring. And honestly, like, I mean, I started wrestling in Japan when I was like 22, Mm-hmm. Uh, just turned 22, you know, a couple months before my first tour of Japan. So I was so young. Like I said before, I didn't even know how to fly. I was hanging on to wrestlers' coattails at the airport. Don't leave me. Like I was, Please. oh my God. Yeah, that's what it was like being over there. Can't believe I got on subway trains and stuff with those guys, but couldn't do it by myself, especially at that level of experience. But, um, I used to just think Kawada hated us. I used to think that he hated Americans because some of the Japanese were, uh, you know, were were racist, prejudiced, especially if you went around Hiroshima. It was sad to be around there. And, and, and you know, I remember going there with Test and Stacey Keebler and um, I think Mike Kyoto was with us. And we all were like, like, we didn't do nothing, but we kind of felt guilty. Like, that's how... That's how the bad feeling manifested in us because you're learning about the generations and generations of family that are destroyed from the radiation, from the bomb that we dropped there. And anyway, um, we felt a lot of that when I started going to Japan, certain, especially the smaller towns. Mm-hmm. And they have the right to tell you, fuck off, you can't be here, which is different than the United States. You know, we I, several times we go to get in a cab or even try to go into a bar to, you know, grab a beer or something. And they'd see us and they block us right at the door. And they say, Gaijin Nai, Gaijin Nai. And at first, you know, we were like, hey, fuck you. You can't tell me I can't. And I was like, oh, they can? Oh, my bad. Oh, okay. I guess I can't. <laughs> <laughs> my bad. Go Gomenasai. But they can. And um, uh, so it's different there. So I thought Kawada probably, and for pol- political reasons, I hated work, working with the Americans and us coming over and whatever. But I always just had that impression from them. Sure. And like too that, that like lost in translation aspect of it all where you're not like, you know, you don't know what they're saying and you know, they might not know what you're saying. And it's just like, yeah. how do you no, get that dynamic there? You know, there was, there was one time uh, just popped in my mind one time and this was the turning point for me because like I said, he used to kick, kick me, really hard all the time and if i was too light coming in i'd get no reaction and i had to learn to change it and 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 that um oh i'm trying to look for the right word that turning point Mm -hmm. that that spot in my history was a six-man tag match uh and it was him and two japanese partners against myself dr steve williams terry gordy and I was out there with Kawada, and he did something, maybe an enziguri or something, but or dropped toehold even. Whatever it was, I went down face first. And while I was on my hands and knees, that dude Kawada gave me a football kick right to the face. Holy shit. Boom. Right. And 
before I even knew what was going on, Doc and Gordy hit the ring and, uh, and and chased him out and then chased the other guys off the apron and then, you know, came over to me and were like, are you all right? Man, that's fucked up, you know? And, uh, and I was like, yeah, no, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. And, and Doc was like, kick him as hard as you can. And I was like, oh, believe me, I'm going to. And and I was so <laughs> stiff with him. Every time I'd work with him after that, until he finally was like, ah, you know, take it easy or something. And then, and then now I look back at it like, yeah, he taught me respect for the art of the of the business. And and I and looking back, he you know he did seem like a like an asshole to me, but um, but by him doing that, I mean he totally made me step my game up, which I needed to do. Yeah, and it's like it's almost like a proven ground too, where it's like, hey, quite you know, the opposite, quite the opposite from like grabbing someone's dick and then taking a flip bump. You know what right. I mean? Yes. Quite wasn't gonna, quite wasn't gonna do that unless I could really fucking throw him by his dick, and uh, and that's the <laughs> opposite between respect for the business and uh, making a joke out of it. Yeah, but hundred percent, hundred percent. It's like you're adding legitimacy to it, like when like, hey, if you can take this kind of shit and this kind of punishment that goes down. And, you know, it just makes you better, like iron sharpens iron in a lot of ways. So, And, and, and you know, after that, it was like, yeah, I, I wanted everybody in the crowd to know they wouldn't survive a normal match that I would go through every night. So that's why, you know, really got into my selling and try to get as much as I could out of it physically every every night. You know, and, that, and all Japan was about that. You know, we didn't have a lot of characters. You know, there was like Kamala... Well, he was the second Kamala, Kamara, Ben Peacock, um, or Kamala too. Also, he wrestled as when they tagged. But that dude, he would paint his face and his belly. Patriot wore a mask. That was about it. You know, sometimes Patriot would have a partner, the Falcon uh, or Jungle Jim um, wore a mask as the wolf for a minute. But uh it was mostly about the athleticism the competition and what happened in the ring and uh and that was cool you know now there's other styles like um ddt which i believe is where um dick suplexing guy is from in fact i'm pretty sure he is and man when i watched that because i've been exposed to it twice once when i was there because noah ran a show that was co-promoted with them and once since then, and I'm watching like this, like, oh my god, what are they doing? And it's like, have you have you seen it? DDT, it's so bad. I've seen some. I think I've seen maybe brief stuff of DDT. Well, um, I know bad is subjective, but I mean, it's gay, over the top, gay, funny comedy, gay, like, like flamboyant, like, like, like drop my like drop, drop his trunks down to where his nuts are hanging out, and then teabag his guy and rub his ass back and forth across his face. Oh my all, God. Yeah, all kinds of stuff like that. Dude goes up to the top rope to squat down like he's going to splash. The guy catches him and goes and sticks his finger up his butthole in front of what? like everybody. That's DDT. It's like a total different uh, art form. Not for me. And especially, of course, I'm going to be offended because of uh, what I've already told you about the respect that was kicked into me. But yeah, that's uh, the other side of the spectrum. Oh, man. Imagine Kawada and fucking DDT after regular. Yeah, right, right. Imagine the Sheik. Yeah, Sheik oh, pull, my God. Cut everybody up and set the ring on fire. Yeah, 100%.
Yeah. Now, what did was Sheik's reaction too when you worked in Japan? Like, did he give you kind of feedback, or did he kind of watch and see you in some of those matches and stuff like that? Yeah, he well, he liked Baba. Mm-hmm. I remember that. You know, he liked Baba. He had a good relationship with Baba. Um, he was happy for me. He knew I was going to um, learn a lot over there. Yeah. I really remember that much more about him and 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 me in Japan. I just know, like, you know, Sabu was wrestling in Japan, but he was always, for a while, with a different company. It was FMW. Mm-hmm. I was always all Japan from uh, February of 93 till, um, I thought it was 97, but now I think recently I've read it was 99 when Mr. Giant Baba died and oh. Mrs. Baba took over, and I did one more tour after that. Um, and, and then Sabu, you know, grew so big that he... Up worked was himself up from FMW to uh, to New Japan, and he was a big, you know, maybe the top indie guy in the business. And he was with uh, New Japan at that time, and and then eventually he came over to uh, All Japan with me, and that was that was great for me because he taught me a lot about how to get around in Japan, how to how to find food and, and a gym and a tan, no matter what where we're at, what town. Taught me a lot of uh, how to speak it and stuff like that. So that was I was grateful when he came over, and uh, not so grateful when he started uh, um, getting heat. You know, because they would tell him, "Don't break a table tonight." And what's he do? Breaks a table. You know? Oh man! Stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, got to cultivate some goodwill there. <laughs> yeah, huh. it's always stubborn that way. Right, right. <laughs> he felt like it was right for business, then he just did it and just said, Hey, they don't understand. Easier to apologize, you know. And, right, yeah, ask for forgiveness later kind of thing. Yeah. Um cool. Well, um speaking of what did I want to oh yeah, I wanted to hit up a little feedback here. Um I don't know if you noticed you got some you got some uh you you got some polarizing feedback. I don't know if I you've did. Seen- How about it? <laughs> yeah. You got some people on there, some of them that are like, dude. Dump this guy. Yeah, they're like, uh, fucking yes, man. What else would I call? I'm still the smiley goon. I was, oh, I was called a mark several times. Um, yeah. And listen, I, I think too, it's like, um, you know, they were, it was a lot of the cornet people. And mm. that oh, that's people. right. That's right. Yeah. And, which, by the way, which, by the way, you know, I, I probably will um, go and, and watch. I haven't seen the video when he talks about my match with Jack Perry, which is, uh, you know, some of them think that we were talking about that. And I was only talking about my entrance and him saying that I look stiff from that. But, um, but, um, you know, stiffer than a porcupine's penis and Penfield on prom night. And, and, uh, um, um, let me see if I can say, um, like eight more times. I do. I say kind of, I, that's my big, I say, you know, when I watch this back, I'm like, I say, you know, that many times, what the fuck, they, they don't know. You're telling them. I say anyway, kind of and obviously a lot. <laughs> I probably, I probably will watch it, but I don't think that you were that negative. I didn't watch what you said about it, but everyone was like, uh, like, um, he didn't say anything bad about it. I read, I didn't think. And then, you know, and I, I was just speaking on what you said about he didn't understand my my role of thunder and i was just speaking on that so i don't i don't think i said anything i'm malicious although i did offer that you know if he thought differently because he thought that i was too old and too stiff then he could eat a dick i offered that yes 
Mm-hmm. Or leave it on the table. But yeah. Um, yeah, but besides that, I don't think you said anything too bad. But I know that uh, you said something about that. He said something about I could qualify for AARP. That's, yeah. He mentioned that on the clip. And then he also, nearing the end, what did he, he said something else too that was like, you know, and it wasn't, he, not, he didn't criticize like your move set or nothing to that effect. It was just like overall, it was just kind of like a nit, like, Nothing well, I got you. You're gonna get you're gonna get more heat now for saying this. I'm not I'm not trying to do that. I should have should have just left it at that. But I well, just no, I kind of and I stand by what I said for the most part yeah. too because it's like he was negative and like that's kind of right. his shtick with all that stuff. And so you know I. But know. from all the comments though, I look more forward to seeing it. Like before, I was like ah, you know, I probably don't want to see what he said after um, the first part, but. After everyone said he was really complimentary of RVD, and that's rare, and he respects RVD, and hey, he said good things about you. So, because the fans hit me with all that, I will eventually um, check it out. So I just yeah. wanted to. Make no, I I definitely encourage you to check it out. I would like to get your perspective on it too. Um, and like yeah, whatever, yeah, whatever, yeah. yeah. It's someone talking about someone else, but yeah. When I just put down RVD, he was more critical of the circumstances of the match, and RVD himself, he praised RVD being able to still go. And then, praise the Lord. Yes. I'd like to pass this praise on to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and if you know anything Girls. about him, he was actually massively complimentary of RVD in the match. doesn't happen often. So I didn't pick up on that, but hey, maybe maybe they saw something or heard something I didn't. But yeah. maybe you had your maybe you had your dark colored glasses on and saw I what you maybe I was being the one being negative. Maybe that was maybe. Yeah. Hey. Keep it down. And here's some positive feedback. Josh Henney, who was on the Kevin Nash podcast, or the Nash and Friends, asked you about uh, what he should be taking and stuff like that, and he got it. He got the crave, the Kratom powder. He says, looking forward to trying this out. Thank you for the input, RVD. So, yep, I, I look forward to hearing back from Josh on uh, how helpful, if at all, that Kratom is for him. I think people were surprised that my first choice when they asked what what's something natural they can take for pain they thought automatically i was going to go with marijuana so that's not for pain no i mean it's on my list but i would definitely put kratom ahead of it kratom um is a a ground up uh leaf from the coffee plant family they make a powder out of it capsules the capsules suck the powder tastes bad but you know that's what I deal with. People make tea out of it or put it in whatever. I put water in my mouth to protect my tongue. And then I dry scoop it and then <laughs> and then I'd swallow more. Um, it tastes so bad, dude. It's like, uh, it used to, what was that shit at the Jamba Juice they used to sell that with that green? Um, oh. Like grass, you know, like, yeah. you're like, like you're playing football and you're face down in the turf or something. Uh, wheatgrass. Wheatgrass, yeah, yeah. <laughs> In my opinion, it's like twice as bad as wheatgrass, but it works on your opiate sensors in your brain, and it works. And a lot of my friends that are, that were hooked on opiates got off of that uh, because they were able to take Kratom, and it solved the same symptoms that uh, they needed help with, which a lot of people you know, are looking for help with anxiety um, or just even overall mood, um, but, you know, great sleep incredible sleep on kratom and uh you know mostly for me i take it for for pain mm-hmm. that's it's it's like yeah you, you don't need 
Vicodin, if you, you know, if you take some, but a lot of people also get high off of Kratom and I often forget that because I don't, I don't know if it's because of my, my level of uh, susceptibility to it. I don't know, but I, I would have to take a lot of it to, to start feeling a little buzz that I know that it is something people take recreationally and people also can reportedly get addicted to Kratom as well. So let me, let me put that out there as an FYI. Yeah, and moderation is always good, you know. And, like, and you mentioned too, uh, like when Josh asked you about, uh, you know, what what to take, you did say weed was more for tolerance than anything else. Like you're just yeah, like, yeah, and culpability. You culpability, know, that's, that's, the word that's you how use. I explain it. Really, like you mm-hmm. got things that bother you or whatever, and you smoke, and then it's like. Like, I don't know what comedian it was that said, you know, it's, it's, you don't give a fuck afterwards. You know, I got that problem. I don't give a fuck. I got this problem. I don't give a fuck. You know, it, it makes it so that it's like, okay, I do got that problem. Okay. I do have to cut the grass, but you know, fuck it. Hey, it's a great day out. You know, sometimes it turns your mood around because it actually, I mean, you know, every, it affects everybody different, but it, 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 it tunes up my vibration, makes me feel better. And then everything comes across better than but like for pain it's more like um it doesn't like go away it doesn't block it it's not like i like i like i would smoke um and then be um not cognizant that i'm limping or, or that my or that my knee is uh not moving as good but it would be like okay it hurts you know big deal it's not gonna not gonna ruin my day or right i'm not gonna focus on it whereas with painkillers, they tend to actually do that. Like forget your hurt, you know, if they work good, if you got the right doses, the right one that works for you. And Kratom is more like that for me where, um, oh yeah, I forgot I was bitching about my back hurting earlier, you know, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Now do you take, do you still take painkillers from time to time if you need to, or is it, you just, yes, I do. Okay. I was curious. Yeah. You did that or you were just like, ah, you know, I got other methods to kind of cope and, you know, yeah. Yeah, no, I, they're they're in my circulation of uh, of my go tos when I need them. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and like I said on Nash's podcast, I expect I would get a lot of pushback, which I haven't read the the, the comments. I almost mm-hmm. said comments. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I read funny uh, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a. Um, I didn't read the comments yet, but this is a stance and how I have felt for a long time. Drugs have a bad rap, you know, like because some people can't use them without abusing them. People want to take drugs off the market and blame the drugs. I think usage is one thing that's appropriate and abuse is an entirely different thing. Most people that even uh, consume prescription drugs because we can argue about, you know, caffeine and, you, you know, sugar, whatever you want to. But um, with prescription drugs, most people that use pharmaceuticals do not have any um, substance abuse problems whatsoever. And I know this sounds insensitive to people that have lost somebody. Believe me, I've lost plenty of somebody's plenty. Been to too many funerals. And um, I still don't see how we would blame the pill itself. And then it makes it harder for people that could really benefit from that. People that 
and, and who am I to judge who needs it? You know, like people will feel better if I say people that have cancer that are dying, you know, fading away with pain and it makes them feel better. But who am I to judge? You know, whatever it is, someone that qualifies and can use responsibly, why make it so much harder for them? Because, you know, somebody that got addicted and got out of control for me. I don't see it that way. And Nancy Reagan back in the day taught us just say no to drugs. Okay. So when you get your teeth worked on, you're not going to do drugs. When you have, when you have a baby, when you have surgery on your leg, when you get your leg amputated, you're not going to, you don't want anything to numb it because those are drugs and you're using drugs or do you want to draw the lines? You know what I mean? And so, so then they, they came up with this uh, controlled substance act, which uh, has, uh, categories of where, where they think all of the drugs should should fall into line in consideration with with penalties really and and so it's like okay but they're all drugs so do we just do we say no to drugs or can we say drugs overall are a good thing there's a few drugs that in a very small amount too if you think about how many illicit drugs street drugs are there out there that you hear of that are being used not that many i mean mm-hmm. it would be really really hard to come up with 10. right no it would be it very much would be yeah. and, and and so for people to say drugs are bad you use drugs it's like dude you use drugs too you just don't even know it first off uh because you draw your line i guess your imaginary line <laughs> somewhere different but um overall Man, drugs uh, drugs work. That's why people take it. They take drugs to help them sleep at night. Ambien, oh, you didn't know that was a drug? You're not, you're not counting that when you're saying drugs are bad? Come on. So overall, I just like to look at that subject for what it really is in its most um, literal context. Right, yeah. No, it is true, too. It's like... You know, and everybody, it's subjective to everybody. Like, uh, you know, it really depends on the person, your chemical makeup and all that kind of stuff of how you're going to react to things. And, you know, and it depends on who you are. Like if you have an addictive personality or something like that, you're going to, it might react to you differently and all that stuff. There's a lot to factor in. So, no, I'm with you. It's like people just have the closed minded tunnel vision on how drugs are, what they interpret as, you know, so. Um, But, yeah. Um, somebody I wanted to touch upon, I don't know if you ever ran into him or not, but he passed away yesterday, uh, the Sheik Adnan Casey. Uh, did you ever have any interactions with him? I know he worked in AWA and World Class, had a little stint in WWE a couple times, but uh, 84 years old he passed away at. I saw that, and I don't believe so. To the best of my knowledge, um, I don't know who the guy is. Okay, yeah, but I like... Crazy backstory. He was like um, high school friends with Saddam Hussein, and then he had to flee the country. Yeah, flee the country in 1980 and stuff, and play college football. And so yeah, I was curious because, and he went by Sheik Adnan Casey too. So I was kind of curious too if uh, you know him and the this, the original Sheik ran into one another or anything. But yeah, I wanted to see if you knew him. At was all. he with Global? Was he with Global Wrestling? Um, do you know the? I know he was up in that area. So. Like, I don't know. There's, I just remember there was a few sheiks, you know, and when I was like breaking into the business, I was learning all these different sheiks that were 
not the original and that's yeah. all a lot of a lot of them you know yeah right he's not the original so you can't do that and even when you yeah. type in the sheik on google your sheik pops up the original sheik and it says the original sheik so as it um, should as it should so um let me see what else we got here oh yeah um so i did a new york jets podcast a couple months ago and uh we talked about you know my jets fandom but he made the comparison he was like uh, so this is Scott Mason. He says, in this week's mailbag, Lamarck Run asks if the new Jets Aaron QB, Aaron Rodgers were a wrestler, who would he be? My answer is the real RVD. He says he's got a laundry list of reasons why. Some may surprise you. Here are those reasons and much more on the mailbag. But so what they were talking about, too, is uh, what was that thing that Aaron Rodgers took? Somebody asked, has RVD ever tried Ayahuasca, though? That's that. Have you ever heard of that? That Ayahuasca, it's like a mix that they do in like south america or something like that and that's something that rvd uh, not rvd that aaron Rodgers was taking or something <laughs> so, I, i've never done it i think maybe i've heard of it you know like when people ask that very question have you ever done blank sometimes you hear shit you don't know about and sometimes you hear it more than once. I think that was one of those where yeah. I had heard about it a few times, but I have no idea. You know, I got no clue. It's something yeah. he took apparently, but like, yeah. no, he's a pretty unique personality. So I can definitely see the comparison. I'll be interested to hear how they make that comparison. So, um, but cool. Um, so yeah, what was uh, my plan was uh, we were going to touch upon Tommy Dream, but I think I might table that because we got a lot of Ask RVD this week. And then, hey, we're going to finally uh, watch go along and watch the stretcher match uh, between you and Sabu. So uh, that's going to be one way to force me to watch wrestling. Oh, hey, <laughs> buddy, did you, there was one comment about last week's show that uh, one of the people said, and they said, dude, when uh, 60% of the, of his answers are, uh, I don't remember, you got to get some better questions. Cause <laughs> I didn't see that one, but that was when you were going you were going through year by year, you know, and in nineteen uh nineteen uh ninety-eight in uh you know February sixteenth. Do you remember the tag match you and <laughs> you and your hat against the uh, eliminators? I uh, what what was your reaction at that moment? <laughs> Do you know? Uh, yeah, um cool, <laughs> cool. whatever, dude. <laughs> Oh, I guess I better get to it though. Have you watched any wrestling this week? Ooh. Um no. No. <laughs> only only a couple of, you know, little Twitter um whatever you call it. Yeah. Little one move things or something. Yeah. And I guess too, uh, before we get to it, uh Last week, we talked about backstage conflict and stuff like that. Obviously, since that happened, uh, CM Punk got fired from AEW. He's out of there. Um, and um, moving on, I think at that point, too, it's like both sides of the stories are coming out. You don't know what you, what to take, what's legitimate or anything like that. But um, it's just a, like a personality like CM Punk. It's kind of like you hear mixed things about him. And so you hear like he's got the locker room, room leadership attitude, but then you also hear how polarizing it can be. So it's just like when you move on from that, uh, how does a big company, when you lose a big star, kind of if you kind of you look at maybe what you did with ECW when you moved on and stuff like that, 
how do you think's a good way for AEW to kind of react to all that stuff in the in the roundabout of losing such a big name like that? Regain balance. Mm-hmm. Regain balance. You know, if you lost uh, if you lost a heavyweight and uh, and and the ship's rocking, you know, too far in one direction, just put some focus on some other guys. WWE's always been criticized for being like a one guy company. You know what I mean? And it was. Cena, The Rock, you know, Hulk Hogan, um, Steve Austin, but it um, and it, and it, it really wasn't, you know. But I, I think I'm like that too, especially socially. You know, I'm more of a uh, put all my eggs in one basket kind of a um, guy when it comes to people that are real close to me. And then and then if it fails, then it hurts. But hey, so does getting your, uh, your head cut off, <laughs> you know, and it's better than that. And, uh, um, so <clears throat> I think, you know, that it's not like a one star, it's not a one man show. It's not a one, uh, one lead singer band that no one else matters, you know, but I mean, his fans, uh, I'm sure will be upset and he's got a lot of fans. I don't know if his fans, are so loyal that they won't support the thing without him do they just come when he's there i don't know that'd be some hardcore loyalty there but but otherwise yeah just you know regain regain composure uh put your fist back up get ready for the next blow because it's coming only only matter time for sure and it's like a lot of people are saying too um can't remember who made this uh this note but they said what they should be doing. I think it was Eric Bischoff. He said, you got to focus on the creative aspect of collision now and just really hone in on that. And then like CM Punk's such a big star. You highlight some of the other stars that maybe that didn't have that opportunity at that point in time. And maybe you can kind of just call it, it might take some more time to do it, but you know, like you said, regain the balance, find the balance of it all. So. Yeah. So uh, that was Sunday, right? That uh, he got fired. He got fired. I want to say Friday. I want to say it was oh. Friday or Saturday. Oh, yeah. No, I think maybe Saturday. I was, it was just Saturday. Saturday it was, Saturday. Yes. Okay, it was, I remember. So. It was Saturday. Yep. It was Saturday. Yeah. So I just saw him Thursday night. You know what I mean? I told you that probably, right? Cauliflower Alley Club. Oh, no, you didn't. I know he was there, yeah. and I knew you were going to be there, but I didn't hear about yep. that. Yeah. I got to edit the footage and throw it up on my YouTube, but he was oh. getting a uh, an award um, and uh, was giving a speech, and he came down and talked to me, and um he's in a really good mood and uh good vibes you know really really seemed like really happy and in, in the moment it's like he's having a good time sitting over here at the other table by mickey james and there's a bunch of wrestlers in this cauliflower alley club as there always are but um and it's one of those things where you it's cool to run into everybody but you're sitting down having a 150 dollar uh steak or something and <laughs> and uh, it's one of those deals, uh, and I usually go to it every year, and it's for a good cause. And um, so, you know, I felt a little closer to the news when I just heard that on Sunday because it was like, you know, it was like last night, right? Oh, the night before, it was just a few hours ago. And anyway, um, you know, he'll be all right. But oh yeah, he'll be fine. Yeah, it's but, uh, yeah. be interesting to see where he ends up. 
Yeah, no, it's. I mean, the landscape is kind of open. It'll be interesting to see if WWE has an interest in him, or if he'll go to like a smaller promotion too, and kind of, you know, almost hit the reset button. But it's cool to hear he's a good in good spirits too. It's like maybe in certain ways, like maybe it's an escapism for him, like a load off his shoulders. And maybe ways. something other than wrestling. You know, he does a pretty good job on heels. You know, playing that redneck. Uh, yeah, Ricky yeah. Rabies, I think his name. Is. Okay. Yeah. Uh, who knows. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, but you know, best wishes to him and and everybody. Yeah, I like it, Rob. Uh, okay, so let's. Uh, yeah, we like I said, we got some good Ask RVDs this week, uh, and let's let's hammer through some of them. We'll watch the match. We'll watch uh, the stretcher match going here. So, summer's almost over, Rob. So we have a question about summer. Clarence Alexander Pryor asks, "What do you love when it comes to the summer?" Is there anything that stands out to you that you really like about the summertime? Is that your favorite yeah. season? Uh, it is. It is. Uh, even though it gets, you know, close to 120 for a while here in Vegas, and that's pretty extreme. But um, there's a lot of really nice days, too, in, in mixed in there. And I guess my favorite part is the sun. You know, I've always been a sun worshiper. If I'm going to go out in my backyard just to grab something – I'll take my shirt off and I always say, okay, I'm going to get my 30 seconds of sun. And it adds up, you know, like some people got to go to the beach and get all oiled up and be there for three hours in, in order for them to feel like they connected with the sun. For me, um, you know, it might be, it might be uh, working outside for a while or it might just be standing out there. could be stretching, could just be, um, whatever you know i could be in my own in my own world just uh uh looking up and, and feeling the rays and and for me i miss that so much in the winter when it's cold i hate waking up and i'm like oh it's cold again and then i feel like i feel like this can't be good for my body because i'm so i'm flexing up and my bones are probably you know my bones are probably cold, and uh, <laughs> I just—I've always—I hate the cold. So, how cold does it get in Vegas? Like, uh, it gets very cold, um, yeah. below freezing. Yeah, and it's a Ooh, different kind of—it's a different kind of bitter cold in the desert too. It's like it feels more like uh, almost like there's a as dry as it is. It feels like somehow the the, the coldness like works its way in through your body somehow and hurts it on the inside at least that's how i feel holy shit yeah, yeah. Oh, man. that's one reason i didn't move to chicago i was gonna move to chicago initially instead of philadelphia but i was like i don't want to deal with that all the wind cutting through and the lake yeah. you almost get there it's like oh yeah shit. and the snow oh my god i i'm fine if i never see snow again Me after too. growing up in it yeah i gotta get the fuck out of pittsburgh <laughs> all right next question matt guy asks what does RVD think in regards to collective consciousness, and has he read any books that he would recommend on it? Also, is there any plans to come to the UK soon, God willing? Um, I don't have any plans right now, anything booked in the, in the UK to share. And uh, when it comes to uh, collective consciousness, um, I mean, it's, 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 it's a real thing. It's another perspective of synchronicity you know and i've been studying it for a long time and it's like we're all connected through this like web of energy and 
the way I try to explain it is, you know, if you look under something that's look at something solid, say a fucking shoe, right? But yeah. you look at you look under a microscope, it doesn't look so solid. It's a whole bunch of moving particles, and and it's no longer that that solid object you thought it was. And when you think about it, that's what I am, and that's what you are. Mm-hmm. Is your bunch of moving particles that like 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 stick together in a field of magnetism that collectively make you appear separate from the air in between us. But all the air is, is also moving particles and it's a different consistency. And the thing is, everything is one big swimming pool of energy and we're all connected at the exact same time to some extent. Some people are more sensitive to it than others, but that's why like sometimes you'll be thinking about somebody that's like the other side of the country or the other side of the world. And right when you think about them, they call and you just laugh it off. Ha, I was just thinking about you. But in reality, that's because they felt that vibration. Like you're connected through that. And, and, you know, there's people that can really on a deep level um, use this to, to their advantage to, to manifest um, uh, a, a better life, you know? And it's like, it's it's like living in the magic of life, feeling like um, um, like you're like you're able to communicate on a on a different level with the universe. And um, as far as books that go, I think the Celestine Prophecy. I mentioned that before. Yep. You know, I think that introduced uh, the universal consciousness to me, um, collective, uh, you know, energy, and it's it's um, it's the only one that comes to mind where I can think of. Uh, I don't know if I've done any further research. Uh, um, like you mentioned last week, you mentioned uh, Carl Jung, and then when I left my Instagram, boom, was trying to sell me a Carl Jung book or something, and you know that's. But that's that same thing. And I've studied. I used to document every time, all day, and look at it. You know, see what it, what I could learn about me and my path. And um, that got to you know where it's where it's hard. It's like taking vitamins for some people or working out every day. It gets to where where it's difficult to keep up with unless you have good writing habits. But um, but I respect it and acknowledge it all day long and point it out. And um, there's there's always uh, every day there's some just like mind blowing. Like what what are the odds of that of that happening? You know. That, there's like at least two that happened today, but I can't think of uh, what they were to, to share with you right now. Yeah. Can you take that? No. Okay. You're good. Cool. No, I'm with you though. It's like, um, I think that that's such a neat aspect that happens, you know, and it's like, you do have that connection and, and feel it. And uh, it's, I, yeah, it only happens maybe like once or twice a day, sometimes if you're lucky and it's, it's kind of a cool feeling. I like it. Bob. Yeah. I think, you know, that uh, the more you're open to it, the more it happens. Just like, Say, if you're a bird watcher, you go around, look at all the birds that you'll see in a day. You'll see so many birds than someone that's not a bird watcher that doesn't even notice. Oh, yeah, you're right. Oh, yeah, I didn't even see that up there, you know? Like, huh, I'll be damned. It, it, it's because of, of awareness, you know? The more you put into awareness, the stronger your awareness becomes. So, so, so there you go. And I personally think that Every time uh, synchronicities happen on different levels, too. You know, I mean, some are just mind blowing and then other ones are like, well, you know, I guess 
you know, um, this just, I'm just trying to grab one out of the air. A few days ago, Katie was on the news. She was a uh, roller derbying. Oh, roller I, saw derby. clip, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, she came home from that all excited because they filmed her and, uh, and she was talking about it. Um, she, when she turned the TV on, boom, it went right to her. And it's not just, wow, what are the odds that they would happen to be running that clip? But what are the odds that she would happen to be on the correct channel? And, you know, and put it, turn the power on right then as opposed to kicking her shoes off first and then doing it, which would have messed up the timing. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I, I think that things like that, I think the more, at least from my experience, I was able to peel back layers the more I studied one and related one to another. And so it wasn't like it was just two a day for me. I felt very much like even if I only noticed two in a day, I felt very much like that was like I was just getting the outer layer of understanding for it. And uh, and the more I studied it, I looked at it backwards, you know, to see which came first, the chicken or the egg, you know, did I manifest this or did I know this was going to happen? It was already going to happen. And man, it's, it's some pretty deep stuff. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm excited because you got me kind of like in the mode of thinking about that more. And so now, um, now I'm going to do more research about it. Cause I bought like those Carl Jung books, but I can't read them <laughs> like so hard to read. So yeah. uh, I've got to yeah, figure yeah. out a good way to kind of like assimilate myself with it all. And the thing with the Celestine Prophecy is uh, it's a fictional book, but it's based on real life elements of spiritual ascension for those of us who are, you know, inclined to to appreciate that. And and it talks about, you know, seeing everything as energy. It talks about the, uh, um, as he said, the um, uh, collective consciousness. It talks about about bettering yourself about when your energy is picked up and you feel loved and, 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 and just, um, uh, good high off life. You, you feel better. You, you are better. You think clearer, you see clearer and better, and you're a better you because of that. And all this is in that book. If you can get through the, uh, the fictional, um, uh, story that's happening as this person is, going to Mount Peru, or Peru, I'm sorry, uh, Mount Pikachu, whatever the fuck that is, and Pikachu, whatever it is. And uh, <laughs> anyway, if you can get through the story, chapter one's really hard to get through, but if you can get through it, um, and he starts going through the first nine insights that he finds to this manuscript that's banned by society for reasons of Christianity, and in the end, he, he you know, you learn that it's, it's not different it's one and the same and it all fits together and it's just it it, it, for most people that i know i think everybody that i know that's read the book it's changed their lives their perspective wow oh man but it's so good that they made the nonfiction version the stellus the celestine vision they made a sequel for insights number 10 also i think 11 and 12 and so there's been like lots of follow-up books this guy, James Redfield, made this, um, even though the first one is a fictional story. So, you know, you got to follow this guy on an airplane, which he happened to end up with a ticket, happens to be sitting by someone that 
that he knows, you know, happens. And that's something too, is everyone, that's one of the insights. Everybody has a message for you. So, yeah. you know, be, be open for that, pay attention to that and, 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 you know, get your awareness up and, you know, see if you can translate that. Like, what did I learn from that encounter? Why did that happen? This guy reminds me of my teacher. There's a reason for that, you know, and he's got a message for you. Maybe, maybe talk to him. Maybe he'll say, Hey, your gas flaps open. I got it. I got the deeper message. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to add to my list then. I'm going to, I'm going to work on Amazon. So, Ooh, okay. Let's see here. Let's see. Rob. Bobby Duncan asks, what was your reaction when Hogan turned heel at Bash the Beach 1996? Yeah, I mean, you grew up a Hogan fan and, like, all that kind of stuff. What what was your thoughts when he finally dropped the big leg on the Macho Man and joined the NWO? Um, I don't really remember how I felt. I mean, I thought it was pretty huge because he's, like, the ultimate baby. The ultimate baby face. Uh, yeah. He is the top guy that that could in the industry that could possibly do that as far as I can see. So I know, I knew it was, I knew it was really big. I don't remember really if I liked it or not. Yeah. Know? Okay. No. Cause it's, a, I was kind of thinking about it too, is like he played a heel like in early WWF days, like way back when. And then uh, I think in the AWA too, he was one, but like, you know, to the, to go that level, you, you got so accustomed to him at that point with Hulkamania and the red and yellow and just like, boom, it did shake things up for sure. So. Um, yeah. All right. Let's see what the other one we got here. This is a pretty interesting one. Matt Godfrey, 87 asks, if you could main event WrestleMania with someone from ECW, who would it be? So if you had to choose somebody that say in their prime in their ECW, supernova, super. Oh, no way. And roadkill and roadkill. Danny Dorian, Chris Chang. Oh, there you go. Oh, the unexpected, uh, the most unexpected answer. Have right? a fatal four-way. <laughs> uh, I would wrestle Sabu. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. Can't top that one. Would you have a, a stipulation to it, or would you do a straight-up match, do you think? Or, like, just an ECW one? ECW style. Did he, was it main event WrestleMania? Main event. Yeah, main event. Um, hmm, maybe... Maybe I would do RVD's first barbed wire match. No way. I wonder if the match would be as good because I can't bounce off the ropes and that takes away a lot of my shit. So I would have to consider that as well, you know? Yeah. Would you kind of like that kind of challenge though? Being like, okay, I got, how am I going to adjust myself and what am I going to do? Not necessarily, but I mean, if it's good business, it's good business, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like it. All right. Now, you might have answered this one before, but I can't remember if you did or not. Uh, so several letters up there as a response. I've always wondered, why did you pick the frog splash to be your finisher? Now, you had it set up, I know, in the earlier days where it would be just part of your moveset. And then, like, you know, you wouldn't even sometimes get the pinfall off of it. So how did you kind of decide on the frog splash? For so um, – a wrestling promoter from Tampa, Florida, named Ron Slinker. Mm-hmm. He discovered me. I gotta get the other end of the quote so you don't quote the rest of my paragraph. In USWA, he was there working 
a little bit with Bill Dundee, but mostly there to have his eyes on his son-in-law, Dennis Knight, slash Tex Slashinger. Yeah. Midian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Midian. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. And so he was there for that, but he saw me and he said, kid, you're going to be world champion someday, blah, blah, blah. He brought me down to Florida. He gave me the name Rob Van Dam. Uh, he got me the job in WCW with Bill Watts. Bill Watts said, no, nah, I don't want to use Van Dam. Come up with something else. Rod Slanker came up with Robbie V. And uh, was it, it must have been either during the WCW run or, or maybe shortly after. I don't know. Not exactly sure on the timing of this, but uh, I was using a split leg and moonsault as my finishing move. And uh, Slanker said, you know, it's a pretty move, but it's soft. And, you know, most of the guys you're wrestling are a lot bigger than you. You need to come up with a finishing move that's more impactful. Mm -hmm. I was like, damn, really? But I'm doing the splits and doing a moonsault. (laughs) It's cool, man. It's cool. And uh, he's like, something more impactful. And I was, I thought about it and I thought, well, what, what could be more impactful than me jumping off as high as I can possibly get and just pouncing on my opponent with all my body weight and all that momentum. And I like to fly anyway. So I'll just work on, you know, jumping higher. And, uh, and that's how I came up with the, uh, using the, frog splash as my as my finishing move i used to arch and do a pretty arch in the air and then and then like fold down at the last second to try to catch myself as much as i could and i broke my wrist in a match with stevie richards in 96 and after that instead of doing the pretty arch back i started like um doing like i do now where i kind of crunch crunch in at the hips a little more uh to, to peak at the top and then come down from there with all of my impact, which by the way, I can probably hit somebody even harder now that I've come up with the van Terminator that arguably has even more impact. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now did obviously Eddie had the, uh, the his frog splash. Um, did you guys, did he ever kind of, did you guys get territorial about it or were you just like, Hey, you know, we got our own style of it. No big deal. Yeah, it was never an issue. And uh, when we tagged, we had fun with it, doing it off opposite corners or jumping across to, you know, each other's closer opponents. And and uh, it was, you know, just part of the true life story. So that's the best. Yeah. And your guys both were so different, too. You could tell from the style and the execution of it all. They, they were their own unique way of doing it. So. Um, cool. Then, okay, this one. He got, gave feedback, but I kind of wanted to get his question part of this. Uh, this was Spicoli420. Uh, he said, at the end, who did you ride with the most in WWE besides Sabu? Was there somebody else that you rode with a lot while you were there? Um, Mike Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, Sean Stasiak. I rode with him for a long time. And um, Booker T. Yeah. Who? That, that completes my list. <laughs> I think good- so. Pretty sure. No, I'm pretty sure those are like regular, you know, like as we would say, road wives of mine. <laughs> Did any have them wild quirks uh, riding with them or any pet peeves or anything like that that you can think of? Mike Awesome was a germaphobe. 
and and I I really got a kick out of that. <laughs> I'm 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 germ conscious, you know what I mean? But he he would he taught me to even take it to another level with his awareness. But what was so funny was like we would always laugh and we still do at the fact like when we go and sit down to eat, we can't get up and just go wash our hands and come back and then just chill until our food comes. We got to time it because people are going to come over and want to shake our hands and stuff. And, and so, you know, if you go too early, you're going to find yourself going back to the bathroom several times. And, um, so, uh, that was always funny. And so Mike had this system and, uh, like whenever we would be in a restaurant, we would sit down, he would like, uh, he would look around and say, okay, you know, if anybody, if anybody's going to come to us, I hope they come right now. And then he would first, he'd wait till his food gets to him because before he's going to wash his hands, he wants to handle everything. So he's going to grab the ketchup bottle mm-hmm. and he's going to use that first. While his hands are still dirty. And then he's going to use the pepper, you know, the salt, whatever the condiments are. He's going to touch all of that first and get everything ready. And then he'd look both ways, you know, then he'd say, I'll be right back. Then he would go and he'd wash his hands. He would come back and when he would sit down, someone would come up and say, oh my God, RVD, Mike Awesome. Hey, I'm big fans of you. And put out their hand. I'd be like, <laughs> I would like to, I'd be laughing so hard. I was crying. I'd be like, oh, God damn it. And he'd be like frustrated, you know, like didn't see the humor in it at the moment because it really meant a lot to him. He really wanted to, you got to pick up a hamburger or something. And you know, this dude was just pumping his gas, you know, touching the nozzle and fucking riding down the road with his hand on his balls in his pants before that. Ooh, come on, dude. We're oh, at a table. Yeah. I'm <laughs> so, eating here. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is a funny one. Bitch Adams. Some effing nineties guy. You're trapped in a room for twenty four hours, listening to Bill Alfonso blow his whistle, or somebody lecture you on marijuana use. Which do you pick? So a lot of Bill Alfonso whistling, or somebody lecturing you. Um, I never was bothered by Fonzie's whistle, but twenty four hours of it in a room would be a lot to take. I think I'd go with the marijuana lecturing because. You know, as an advocate and uh, someone who prides myself on having a pretty extensive education on the subject, I like to listen to both sides of the argument, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I like to find out what kind of propaganda is still being pumped out there as information when it's uh, not credible. And uh I like to hear any updates that anybody has, you know, it's funny someone last year was like, you know, they finally, somebody, they have a case now, somebody actually did smoke themselves to death. So now it is possible. Like really, so in the history of the planet, there's one person. So now what, what changed? <laughs> right. You know? right. What changed? I mean, whatever that person's genetic makeup, if it, not that it was real anyway, but anyway, um, I, I choose the latter. The latter, yeah, yeah, and it's like, and you know your shit, so you're able to have any good counter arguments. Yeah, taking that whistle. I mean, yeah, when he's doing it during a match, it might be a little different, but 24 hours in a room might be tough. Yeah. Yep. All right, Rob. Well, it's time. Uh, we've been, I've been putting this one off for a little bit uh, since we've had so much other stuff to talk about, time constraints and stuff like that. But let's um, 
we'll pop up this uh, this match. It's the stretcher match. Took place. I have the, it in the notes here in 1996, uh, August 3rd of 1996 in the ECW Arena, and uh, you versus Sabu. Uh, YouTube Chris, I think, says this is your guys' rubber match. Um, at this point, too, how was you? How was you? How were you assimilating in ECW at this point? Were you kind of like sticking to, close to Sabu and and kind of still feeling your oats, kind of thing, or is it was it more so you're you're getting along with everybody and kind of seeing where we're this promotion is going for you. I was loving working the, the, this program with Sabu. I was loving where it was going. And I loved the idea of the stretcher match. Cause I had never heard of that before where you have to be carried on the stretcher all the way back through the curtains in order to lose the match. And I just thought, wow, we can probably be really creative and have uh, a lot of really cool, things happen in this match so i was really getting into the ecw i was still new but i was getting solid reaction from the crowd to say the least and uh i was enjoying my position that i was earning the attention that i was getting looking forward to this match um what i remember mostly about it is sabu doing a moonsault out of the ring off the second rope under the knee on the stretcher and his shins just nailing the guardrail just oh yeah crack. It, it, it was like someone hit the guardrail with uh two baseball bats <laughs> joey, yeah joey styles even makes mention of it too when that happens oh brutal. yeah oh my gosh brutal. um before we before i start running this though tony khan was at this event apparently he actually he right he told me it. that yep and yeah. you know what I think I found him in the crowd. I got oh, wow. That's awesome. Let's see yeah. that. Because, yeah, he told me he told me personally that he thinks that that night I became a, a star. Yeah. You know. So, okay, it's obviously blurry and pixelated. But I'm thinking this is him in the orange shirt right there, if you see him. Oh, how have, would you know? How would you know? Dude? How would you know? I'm only gathering because the, the man sitting beside him has a mustache. His dad, Shad Khan, has a mustache. And he looks disinterested. And I remember his him saying that his dad was not a wrestling fan, but he took him there just out of the kindness of his heart. So I think maybe that's Tony Khan. Don't, can't tell. Can't be positive. But maybe it is. Who knows? <laughs> and by the way, the odds that I would also be wearing an orange shirt right now when you point that out, that's one of those uh, lower-level synchronicities. How about that? See? Not blowing, your, not blowing anyone's minds, but still, if you did – if you did a random statistics check, you know, and find out how rare an orange shirt is and what are the odds that uh, we would both have it and you would point that out. No way. That's true. That's true. Is your shirt plain? Is it a plain shirt? You got a plain orange shirt? Yeah, plain pink right here. That's what I'm wearing. So, jeez. I cleared this with Taz. Don't don't cause no <laughs> you problem. You cleared it with Taz? All right. Yeah, I didn't clear this cool. with Bret Hart, so I might be fucked. So. <laughs> cool. So, all right. We can just fire it up. Boom. Let me make sure I got the right screen on. I do. Oh, PP. Can I go up here? By the way, um, Dom, you know, I may have worn. Oh, Sabu's got orange pants. Oh, man. And I was just going to say, I may have coincidentally, if you want to call it that, wore this orange shirt because. Of the stretcher match. I remember the stretchers being orange. Yeah, I think they are. I think you're right. Maybe, I mean, maybe that's why I'm wearing orange. 
and because uh, of Tony Khan wearing orange. How about that? That's true, yeah. And then, hey, I changed the background too. It's your tiger stripe uh, singlet. Yeah, no, I noticed that, and that's orange too. But that's I did notice that. That looks cool. Yeah, everybody's favorite outfit. No doubt about it, man. Now, why did you? I kind of like the gi. Why did you get rid of the gi? <laughs> because to 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 you, hopefully, depending on if you're being sarcastic or not. No, I do. I like it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it looks like a karate gi, but in in actual in Japan, it's uh -huh. like a, it's like a bathroom. Oh, okay. It's like okay. something they wear around the house, and so it's kind of like funny to them that I would wear that out to the ring and act like it's a you know like it's a karate gi. Yeah. Uh, but I thought it looked really cool like that, and then like Sabu would laugh at me and say, "No, they, you know, they they're not gonna respect that because it's a." It's a it's a house robe. Oh, okay, like kimono. Okay, so kimono. More of a kimono, yeah, more of a kimono. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I but I think Giant Baba kind of wore one, or maybe his was a robe. I don't know. It wasn't a karate gi though. <laughs> his wasn't. This was neat because I I immediately like he was going for like a double leg takedown and stuff like that, and immediately sparked in my head like, oh, Sabu was an amateur wrestler. So like, yeah. There's that. Oh, answer. how do you like it? Yeah. Mine hurt worse. Might hurt worse because I, I drop kicked him in the leg with toilet paper coming out of my boot. <laughs> I had a I had a foreign object. You did. Look at that. Yep. <laughs> that hurt way worse. <laughs> Much worse. You guys fucking lay it in right here, it looks like. Oh. Oh. And with the toilet paper. I did, see? There you go. Yep. Now, how was uh, John Finnegan as a referee? Did you like him? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, you know, I was so green here. Like, looking back, if this is 96, I've only been working, like, six years, you know what I mean? Yeah. Six and a half, seven, seven maybe. But it's like, that's, like, not much not much time at all. It's funny to... To watch it and to the fans, it's like, you know, that's just a international superstar. You know, I'm wrestling in Japan. I'm wrestled in WCW and whatever. But it's weird at this point in age to look back at me like that, you know, when I was 25 years old. Right, right. but to your point, though, it's like you've been, you are already – you were like at this point you wrestled down in Georgia. You wrestled like WCW. You were in Japan. So it's like – You've already kind of cultivated a pretty good resume of experience at this juncture where it comes to like learning all these different types of styles and how it works. And, I did this interview earlier, uh, like I said, for Battle Creek, and they asked me, uh, dude said, WC, you, he said, you started uh, in WCW, right? And I said, well, no, it was, I did a lot of, uh, a lot of work before WCW. That was my first really big company that I'd been to, but, even just with TVs, my first uh, TV would have been USWA in uh, 90. And um, um, I think it was 91, though. Why do I think it was 90? It had to be 91. It had to be 91. Um, weird. Please remember this stuff. You this were damn like weed. Damn weed. It's CTE. But, um, 
So anyway, I was on USWA in uh, what must have been 91. That was my first TV. And then uh, South Atlantic Pro Wrestling out of Charlotte. My first championship belt was a tag belt there when I'm in front of the Piggly Wiggly with the mullet, uh, if you've seen that picture. Uh, That was my first uh, belt, tag team belt, South Atlantic Pro Wrestling. Then I went down to Florida and I wrestled for Eddie Mansfield at Universal Studios, IWF. That was my next TV. Um, So I had that all before I went to WCW in December of 92. And then that was, you know, my first, like, big company contract that I never turned in. Yeah. But you were saying, too, that you were making more on the indies at that time than you were making with WCW, being under contract with WCW, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Now, in this match, too, and I'm sure this was always kind of the case at the ECW arena, such a tight spot in between the guardrails and the, and the ring. Um, did you kind of like that aspect of it? That you could do a little bit more athletic kind of things, or was there just pros and cons to both of that, having that guardrail so close to the ring like that? Pros and cons to both. A lot of times it was too close. Mm-hmm. And then that could be an issue. We don't have room to work outside the ring at all. Um, then other times it's too far away. You, yeah. you know, when I, did, when I was on AEW recently, by the way, if you compare how far away their guardrail, guardrail was to this one, I mean, what, I mean, look, there's a fucking, uh, what is that? A, is that an eight-foot table, seven-foot table? And it already yeah. goes across and has room on both sides. There's not much space there. Not at all. And you, yeah. you'll see in a little bit, too, that you have to. You do make a good adjustment. Might be a six-foot table even, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. And in AEW, it was like, people were like, I don't know, you know, if it, you know, that might be too far to do. I'm like, dude, I got this. You, you know? fucking nailed it, too. Yeah. You nailed him. Big difference uh, yeah. in, from ring to ring, stuff like that. The hell is he doing? Oh, oh. Got him on the rope. Not, oh. Sure, that was stiff as fuck. <laughs> dude, sell something, would you? <laughs> Come on, Sapu. What the heck? We didn't used to sell shit back then. That's one thing when I look back at it that um, I didn't know at the time, but it was like, oh, he's, yeah, he didn't want to go to the floor. He wanted to be there. He wanted to just be there. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) There's some moments, though, where Sabu, and I I mean, he makes it look real. So maybe some of it is real. Like, he, I can't tell. Dude, we used to beat the shit out of each other. So everyone knew we were hitting each other for real. Right. That was. Well, you know, that's the way we got trained. And uh, me and Sabu were always like that. So working with each other, we were going to be able to be like that even more. And with these, oh, you know what? I'll be damned. I thought that fucking gurney was orange. In my mind, I, in my mind, I remember the stretchers being orange. And I, boom, that blew my mind. Maybe it's just because of Sabu's pants, but obviously I was wrong. I don't know. <laughs> Let's see if they're both like that, because yeah, no, I think there's a second one. Yeah, there is a second one, so maybe and, right. and it might be orange. Yeah, it might be orange. The one where he does where he nails his shins on the guardrail, I remember that being orange. I don't know if it was or not. Yeah, yeah. How silly! Oh, he got off himself. Now, were these shooty MTs or were they just uh, people that helped? Oh, no, they were. Yeah, they were. 
They were, and, but they were regular. Like they weren't just like called uh, for this match. Yeah. They were. They were hired to, to be there like every, TV, sh- show. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe some of the live events as well, but every TV, they would be there. And uh, man, Sabu would give them shit. You know, is it like he would treat them like they're the boys, but they're not. They're real. Yeah, you know, like they'd want to, they'd like be wanting to look at him after match sometimes, wanting to stitch him up. Do you see that move I just did, by the way? Yeah, the, the, uh, that, yeah. the far away powerbomb there. Yeah, yeah, I quit doing that because it kills everybody, but that's um, a move I've always loved doing. Uh, it's like, it's like I pick him up like, kind of like a powerbomb, but I step to the side and then, and I, and then I hold and then I float him down, and I've done that in actual situations so it's one that i'd like to do in the match but i i got tired of everyone saying oh so i gave it up see i would think too just as a visual standpoint that doesn't look as bad as like a regular powerball like right yeah i think i agree with you or the fucking uh, yeah or that fucking patriot del wilkes bob holly that camera alabama jam or alabama slam yeah Yeah. No, you're right. I think you're right about that. No, yeah. That's a good point. Um, I'm bringing it back. Bring it, Bring back. it back. Um, it's coming to Battle Creek. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Brian Cage, you're gonna get the fucking step to you're the side. Get the fucking step step out, step out, power bomb. Yeah. Probably someone's probably already doing it by now, but I don't know. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. All right, all right. Well, there's something. Bring it back. What's old is new uh, again? Oh. Oh. Damn. Damn. Oh, what what do you got going here? Give me that chair. Now, do you remember around when you started coming up with the Van Damator and stuff like that? Yep. When was that exactly? <laughs> That was before my first ECW match. No shit. Oh, no shit. So it was. Oh, wow. I didn't even know that. Okay. Yeah. Like when I was coming to wrestle for ECW, I'd seen him on TV. And, whoa. Ooh. Oh, I think I might have seen an orange fucking gurney to the oh, right. Yeah, I think you yeah. might be right. I am validated. Thank you. <laughs> now, this is a wild spot right here. Yeah. Pretty far out there, dude. Oh! That gurney looks orange, Rob. Yep, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. So you've seen somebody do a bandaminator before you? No, but um, like I was, I'd seen the TV and I was intimidated by the style, you know, all adult crowd watching waiting for you to slip or mess up so they can make fun of you you know yeah. and, and you know what they, you're about to do right here their chants and oh <laughs> you fucked up you it fucked happens up. they start chanting yeah that might have been the last time i heard that it was humiliating like i'm already killing myself yeah right inside you know like already like oh and then uh Fuck. And then on top of that, you know, they let you have it. But yeah. uh, so anyway, I was intimidated going in because I was in Georgia and the kind of shit that worked in Georgia wasn't going to work up there. You know what I mean? Right. I couldn't be like USA, you know what I mean? 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, I down here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Come on, everybody, everybody, <laughs> come on with me. Like that kind of shit wasn't gonna work, and I thought no. I, I need to come up with some fucking cool moves that'll get me over there. And I, I had a pen and paper, and I was like, um, maybe I'll throw the chair up. At the, throw a chair up and then do a jumping, spinning back kick into their face. And I just wrote it down. It was just one of several, you know, just like I stand on the top rope and hold the chair and then dive off and do a helo onto the chair, onto the person. And I wrote that down. I didn't know one from the next necessarily that, that, that it was going to be that much better. And then it was going to be winning me championship gold, you know, for the rest of my career. But uh, that's how I came up with it, dude. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, so you're getting carried out here. You Maybe can... I can lucky flip him out of chair, throw that down. Oh, like just, yeah, so much different innovative stuff that you used to do. And even when I'm watching these other ones, I'm like, oh, I've seen a variation of that. But something. Yeah, and that's, that's what ECW was about, was always outdoing ourselves, like every time and adding adding another level to make it even more extreme. And what, you know, when I, when I learned that about ECW, I really got in sync with it. Cause that's what I was doing. I was always trying to outdo and, and one up my own self. Yeah. And then, and I saw Paul was doing that with the damn TV shows, you know, like I was like, there's no way they're going to be able to top that next time. And they do something lights out lights on. There's someone they'd never expected to be in the building. And, the crowd would go nuts. I'd be like, man, he did it. I yeah. can't believe he outdid what we did last time. And then I got right in sync with that and said, all right, helo over the rope. All right, next time I'm going to put a chair there and go and clear the chair and the rope. All right, next time I'm going to put two chairs there, clear both chairs and the rope. And that's just, that that was what it was about for me during that time of my career. Wow. Now, was there anybody else that would really like, that would really try to reinvent that you were like really noticing that they're like, holy shit, that person's like always trying to do different shit and everything. Besides Sabu, obviously there's a lot of different stuff. But he, Sabu did. And somehow overall, like I said, Paul seemed like he was doing that with the actual show. With like, the show itself. Yeah. Yeah. So it seemed like that theme carried out, you know, and different people did it in different ways, you know, like Raven, uh, Sandman, whatever they might do it by shocking everybody, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, like the crucifix or whatever, just shit that would be like, oh my god, they, I thought they crossed the line last time, but man, they just jumped over the line this time, and it was, yeah, it was just overall. I can't remember specifically about people doing it with their moves. Was, was that it, Rob? Yep, you see it, cracked his fins. Put it back here in just a couple seconds. They need to put him on the stretcher after that. Here it is. Ah! Maybe he rolled. Maybe he spun enough to where it hit the back of his leg. Yeah, I think he at least maybe caught one of them. Yeah, it didn't look fun. Nope, nope. Oh, we're both on stretchers now. Uh Uh-huh, it's got a race. It's a race. Who's coming in last? That's what you need. That poor blonde lady. I started talking about he would just abuse him like backstage. Like he'd come back there like with a big gas bleeding and he'd be sitting there and like she'd come over, you know, and try to just look at him or something. Get away from me. 
You know, like, get with me, I'm fine. And he's like, turn into the sheik. Yeah. Uh, and and they took so much abuse because, you know, he didn't want to get stitched. Was there a lot of that too? Like a lot of like that proven mentality of like, hey, I don't need, a, you know, medical help or anything like that. And he's just like, I'm toughing it through. Or, was there kind of a lot of that mentality backstage? Sabu's, Sabu's crew. Sabu's for sure. Crew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it might have just been our clique, now that I think about it. I don't really know. I could imagine someone like Candido would probably take stitches, maybe. Uh, yeah. Lance, Lance. I mean, a lot of the guys, you know, I remember in TNA, by the way, when I wrestled Brian Cage, and I busted his lip open, and he and we were having this conversation backstage afterwards. Me and Dreamer were telling him not to bother getting it stitched up. Um, and I was telling him, you know, just super glue it. I would totally just super glue it if it was me. They kept going back and forth because the medics were like, they were agreeing, like, yeah, basically what we use is like super glue. And they were, but they were saying, you know, but we're professionals and, uh, you know, we, if we stitch it up, boom, boom, boom. And he goes, what should we do? Well, if you're asking me what you should do, you know, give me some super glue, I'll fix you right up. And, and anyway, he ended up getting stitched up and a lot of people, would choose that because that's recommended. That's uh, that's um, probably is safer, healthier, more sanitary. But man, last time I got busted open really good, I you squeeze it together so that it's almost overlapping. You squeeze it extra so that there's no openness. There's nothing. Yeah, yeah. No glue gets in there. You put super glue on and you hold it for a little bit and you let go and you're good to go and the scars <laughs> go away. So Sabu taught me that early on. And um, these medics a lot of times would argue with, with him, but he would have some serious gashes sometimes. And uh, they just wanted to pour peroxide on it or something. And he would be like chasing them away. Get out like, of here. <laughs> in kickful sheet character. Yeah. <laughs> Now, would Mike awesome? Would he, I, he would take stitches, wouldn't he? Because being a germaphobe and stuff like that. I, you know, I don't remember it ever happening, so I don't know. Probably so, though. Yeah, like yeah. you said, probably so. I think maybe it was just Sabu and me, and I don't know. Like we would have made fun of Louis if he would have got stitches. Bobby Duncan Jr. Bobby would have went, ah, I'm from Texas. I don't need that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's hard to speak for other people, Taz or the Eliminators or Dreamer. Uh, I guess it would depend on circumstances. But Dreamer was on my side telling Cage, I think, <laughs> that he didn't need stitches. Did he? The way I remember it, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> a little Frankenstein action there. Nobody, nobody takes that move at the right time anymore. By the way, like everyone. The person on top, and it, it, on the mat, not necessarily on the top rope, second mm-hmm. rope, whatever. But every time when someone does it, oh no, it's the head scissors actually, and everyone does that sides, the side slam into the the twirly head scissors. Like for oh, a while, yeah. for a while, you had to see two of those every single match. But um, but they always like they always fall first, and then the person goes. You know. Yeah, and, I've noticed that too. It's like you know, it's a little delayed now and stuff. It seems. Weird. This, this I, I let good, it only over. This was a good spot here, Rob. This, this is what I was talking about too, where you had to kind of make the adjustment for this, uh, the confines of the guardrail, so to speak. Like you catch him. Oh shit! Oh, yeah. boom! 
That was good. That was like a hell of an adjustment right there. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. I was using that fisherman buster for a finish there for a little while, and it wasn't a good idea. Yeah? What? I, I think Sabu, I think maybe Sabu gave it to me because uh, I don't remember why. I think I just he thought I needed a devastating finish. And I remember I gave it to him in the ring and uh, knocked him out. Boom. It's in one of these matches. Maybe it's the re- – oh, it's the respect match, I think. Oh, okay. It's the respect match where I beat him and he has to shake my hand because he's knocked out. And he's stiff as a board when I'm trying to pin him. I couldn't hook his leg. He yeah. was su- his leg was stiff and straight out. He zombied on me. And and, he, and after he went back to the dressing room, Paul told him, you have to shake his hand. He's like, what? And he said, Van Dam beat you. You have to go out there and shake his hand. It's a stipulation of the match. He goes, no, I don't. He didn't beat me. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> And I also remember doing that move to Hack Myers, and it seems like I might have hurt him, too. Oh, he was a name I saw when I was researching here a little bit. I remember doing it to him, not for sure if I hurt him or if he was just scared of it. I can't remember, but I remember either way, bad energy with doing it. So yeah, yeah. I probably only did it those three times. The one through the table might have been the best, the least (laughs) Well, I think he gives you one here. He gives you a fisherman buster here coming up. Son of a bitch. Yeah, he's still better not. from you. He better not. Oh, oh, oh shit. I got him. I got oh, you. Rolling I got a counter for your springboard. springboard. Yeah, I was reading uh, Melter's news. Oh, here it is, right here. You give him a fisherman buster. I think he either reverses this or oh, yeah. oh, oh, oh. oh okay. One, there it is. Boom. Oh, you son of a bitch! You are fucking man. How dare he? Oh no! What's he gonna do with that chair? Oh. Sabu's got some plans. Chef Finnegan over there wondering if he left the shower out at home. <laughs> oh, look at that! Oh, oh. that was pretty sweet. Damn, good Could timing. That. Yep, good timing. Oh, they're calling. He's calling out the stretcher for you, Rob. For me? For you? Shit. Nope, Shabu, Shabu shoving him off. But I kind of shielded myself a little bit. Yeah, yeah, right. I probably took the worst of that one. Oh, where am I going? Whoa! Oh, no, right on the stretcher. For real. <laughs> Is he on it? He's on it. Now he's on it. He wants to be on it. He's ready to call it quits. Get him he's, out of here. He's, he's done. Over it. He's over he's it. Done. Yeah. <laughs> Jim Molino, push or pull, bro. Which way are you going? Come on, where are we going here? He's rocking quite the mullet, too. Oh, I know what's coming up. I remember yeah, this. Something here, Rob. But yeah, I feel like, hey, get going. I want to get some oh. air. Oh. be further. Oh. Uh-oh. Oh. Is this I have a feeling. 
match. That's match. That's got to be it. Nobody would survive a jumping top rope halo to the stretcher to the. You're out. You're out cold, Rob. Damn it. Oh, no. I'll get you next time, Sabu. <laughs> you may have won this one, Sabu. Next time. Wasn't for those crazy kids and that stupid dog. Would have had get you. you next time, gadget. <laughs> next time. I did not expect a Doctor Claw cameo. There <laughs> 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 it is, Rob. That's a great match. Yeah. Where does that stand out for you for your matches with Sabu? Uh, well, I mean, at the time, that was my favorite match. You know, I remember that. Um, I I don't know. I really liked the match that we had in TNA when he was bald, when he had that weird little face where he shaved his head. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I really liked that match a lot, too. You know, I don't know which one would be my fave. We had one or two after this, I think, in the series of uh, – matter of respect or maybe it was before this i don't know but i know we did at least one more after that i'm wearing the same outfit i remember doing a leg drop off the bleachers in the back for me it'd be like just doing a new move that i hadn't done like that before would be what it was about for me you know like oh cool next time i'm gonna go up to the balcony and do this and you know a lot of us i think did think like that and that made that made the day better for us like we were uh crossing a new line somehow you know in growth and we're growing um i mean i i think i worked him in wwe probably too but i don't even remember like i don't think i did anything memorable i wonder did you work him at all in wcw was he did you guys ever have no no we weren't we weren't there at the same time okay okay but my favorite was the USWA when I had the short blonde hair and the and the uh, blue trunks, and I was uh, Rob Zikowski, and he was Samu. <laughs> he was Samu. Yeah, <laughs> that's what they called him on TV. They fucked up. That's hilarious. Yeah, he was. So was he Samu the Elephant Boy, or was he just Samu? I think it was just Samu. Mm-hmm. I think Sheik told him Sa- Samu the Elephant Boy. But then when Sheik wasn't around. Then Sabu was like, it's just Sabu. Just Sabu. Okay, we got you. We got you, Samu. (laughs) Samu, you got you down. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Was it always the plan for uh, you guys to like be rivals starting off and then then turn into a tag team, or was that that kind of just happened organically because you guys were both so over? I don't know. Don't know. Who who plans? Who plans? That's right. I don't know. The best laid out plans are unplanned. All right. Rob, do you have a RVDology this week? Yeah, what did we talk about uh, last week, dude? We talked about passivism. That, yes. That come across the... Yeah. Um, I, you know, sometimes, too, a lot of the times, um, especially when it comes to, uh, you know, when it is an experience like StarCast, say, for example, you see, like, a lot of people interacting or you're in a moment where like, even if you're at a show, like there was all out that weekend too, that took place and you see people get under intense or pressure situations. And I was pretty cognizant 
of how I was reacting under those situations when it would be like, hey, if there was a stressful situation or things were going down, it was just like, where, and if I'm interacting with somebody, whether they have like a little bit, you know, more swag in the business or kind of more pull or, you know, anything to that effect, it's like, where do I kind of lay the line of like how I want to establish myself? So I, I was kind of thinking about in that, in that line of terms too, over the course of the week, especially at Starcast, I think too. So I, I definitely took some stuff from it this week, Rob. And, you know, cool. it's always something I factor into when I, when it comes to the aspects of like, Hey, you know, kind of, and I'm a very passive person in a lot of ways too. It really takes a lot for me to get charged up or to kind of be like, all right, this is where I'm drawing the line. But I kind of do know my threshold and, you know, sometimes I think I'm a little too patient with some of that stuff too, but you know, yeah. something to work on. <laughs> that's, that's the thing too, is, you know, where do you draw the line? Because a lot of times I think afterwards too, you know, like, man, I should have stood up for myself there. I shouldn't let that person talk to me like that, you know, right. but then in the end, in the end, it's like, you know what, who cares, you know, just whatever but that's on that's on them you know what i mean <laughs> something's wrong with them not you just just go about your day and don't pay them no attention and sometimes that's better right and you were saying too last week how like you put out that negative energy and you feed it more if that happens too when it comes to that kind so of true. too and it's like so true that thing with you and scott norton could escalate if you handle it in a different situation but you remained like passive you weren't like timid you were passive yes de-escalate yeah, you de-escalated the situation, and that's how to handle it, man. So, amen to that. So, right. yeah. Um, so, this should be should be a short one. Uh, spark it up if you got one. There we Enlighten go. one up. Dude, I've really been in, enjoying and appreciating the feedback that I've been getting from these RV Theology uh segments and i am going to do some more full episodes soon on, on my youtube but uh in the comments i get some really good messages that go to my heart about how i've helped them in person you know i was at a signing last week and in chicago sarcast and uh man one of the dudes that was standing there talking to me Man, he really got through to me. It made me feel really uh, valid and good about what I do. And he was like, man, he goes, you, you, you help a lot of people. You inspire people. And he said, you know, you, were, you inspire people uh, in the ring, all these wrestlers. And now you said you inspire people with your, uh, with your ivory theology, you know, and it's, um, it's good stuff that helps us all out. And he was particularly talking about um, – anger issues and something that i had said about controlling your anger and i said those who are closest to your heart can hurt you the most and that's mm -hmm. true um because those are the ones that you trust and that kind of is a transition into what i want to talk about for a minute here which is loyalty and loyalty is a quality that i respect and is often looked upon as being maybe too much, too important. I don't know. That's why I want to talk about it right here. So loyalty, when I think about it, you know, like I just mentioned, I said earlier that I'm more of a uh, put all my eggs in one basket kind of person when I keep people close to me. But if I think about how many people I think would be loyal to me, I'm, I'm fortunate um, because I'm a celebrity 
there's a lot of people out there that I haven't even met and people that I've met, touched, impacted, whatever, that would and do follow me and, and are loyal RVD fans. Um, when it comes to a certain depth of loyalty where you are obligated all the way to have this person's back, that can be a good feeling when you have somebody like that. You know, Katie, for instance. Mm -hmm. I don't have best friends that are closer to me than my wife, you know. And, um, of course, I know she's going to be loyal to me and vice versa. But when you think about it, when you're a kid in junior high and you tell your best friend, dude, nothing's ever going to come between us, man. You know, we're bros. I got your back. You got me. We're, we're us against the world. Then you realize one day, well, that's kind of gay. If you're not gay, you might want to have a life partner that you may feel actually deserves that more than that promise you made way back in the day. But does that mean you're not loyal because you made a pact with them? Perspectively, if you want to look at it that way, how about when loyalty causes you to break the law? How about when a police officer does something, goes too far, breaks the law, and then the other police officers that are on the scene, they're not going to tell on them. They're going to back the blue because of that brotherhood. They're on the same side of the blue line. So then now if one person goes down, everybody goes down because now they were all accomplices to this law that was being broke. It happens all the time. Let's look at the mafia, right? You take a pact, an oath for life that you belong to the mafia first above your family, above your children, your wife, anything. You swear if you break your oath, you die. That's a crazy, crazy commitment. But, but that's the way that it works. Okay, now you're part of this criminal empire. They rob, they extort, they bully, they scam, they murder. And then if it comes down to it, and you get busted and you can you can go to jail for life or if you give a little information on the other guys they're going to give you a break right right anybody in that position that breaks their loyalty and then turns is looked down upon as a rat not just by their mafia family by the cops even, by everybody. They're like, how treacherous for him to betray his oath and turn his back. Everybody looks at him like that. Everybody. Who looks at them like they're a hero? But really, what are they doing? Reporting murderers? They're exposing crimes? They're getting criminals off the street? Isn't that a good thing? But because they betray their loyalty, even cops look at them like, what a piece of shit this guy is. 
that's the dichotomy of that situation. Now, I said loyalty is important to me, and it is. But also, you got to have enough judgment. How much loyalty do you owe this specific person? Do you owe them your life? Would you give your life for this person? You don't have to say yes in order to feel good about yourself. If it's just a person that 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 is a friend, a family member, whatever, it's going to be subjective. And, and your loyalty is based on your values. Okay? Some people live with DTA. Don't trust anyone, right? Right. I can't tell you that that's a wrong way to live, but it is inconsistent with RVDology. I have to trust some someone. If I get hurt, it hurts. And then you know what? I do the same thing again. I'm going to find someone else, hopefully make better decisions next time and trust someone else because I believe in people. I think some people are worth trusting. I think a lot of people are more loyal than other people. I can't give up on anybody. If you're someone that believes don't trust anyone, it sounds kind of lonely. Right. Sounds kind of lonely. I mean, I get it if you're if you're in enemy territory and you're a spy, if you're in the jungle and all the animals are going to eat you, sure, don't trust anyone. But to go through your day and really think that that's such a great motto, you're going to get it tattooed on your on your fingers or whatever. Um, I, that's a conflict with how, how I open up my heart, how I choose to live, and how I manifest my life. <clears throat> Let's take that same situation. If you don't have anyone that you really trust, you're probably not opening up to everyone. You're probably not really sharing all of yourself, which means no one really knows the, the real you. Mm -hmm. That seems lonely. Let's look at it the other way and flip it around. Who do you have that would really be loyal to you, that really trusts you? If you don't trust anyone, how do you expect them to trust you? What's that say about you? That also seems lonely. It's a good feeling to be trusted. It's a, you know, sometimes it's weird. Sometimes I feel weird when there's money around and someone walks away and I'm like, uh, I, I'm not, you know, your money's sitting right here on the table. Uh, <laughs> there's certain situations, you know, where, where I feel like, wow, this person really trusts me. When, when I'm doing productions, you know, I do movies, TV shows. I'm always impressed with the amount of trust that people have when they like rent their house out. Same thing with parties, you know? We had a big house party, someone that I don't fucking know. There's a hundred people there. I'm like, hey, where's the bathroom? You go in the bathroom and they still have their toothbrushes out and stuff. I'm like, wow, that's really trusting, you know? At the party, I think maybe irresponsible to be that trusting. With the production crew, <laughs> then I feel accountable. I'm like, wow, they told me to change in this bedroom that's actively somebody's bedroom and they trust me in here with all this that makes me feel you know like i said accountable so that gives me a different kind of feeling um <clears throat> i told this story on our radiology when it comes to uh, loyalty 
uh, I, I like to mention this uh, this situation that I was in with uh, with Dango one time. I was uh, with we were at we were at the mall, Lakeview Square Mall in Battle Creek, looking for something to do. We got invited to this party in Kalamazoo. Uh, we went over to check it out with you. Um, and then, uh, we're at this house and we don't know anybody there except maybe like two, three people that we, you know, knew from Harper Creek, a different school. And, um, this was during my punk days. You know what I mean? I was, we would go to fight, we would go to parties looking for fights, you know, we wanted girls, but we didn't know how to get the girls. So we thought, Maybe if we could show them that we're tough, of course the girls would want to be with us, right? It didn't work, but you know that's what our that's what our our brains told us at 18, 19 years old, whatever. But uh, I remember we're in this house in Kalamazoo, and I got like a wife beater tank top on, sticking my chest out, walking, you know, walking through because I was a huge 180 pounds. You know, I had to show everybody my big muscles. And I'm walking through the kitchen, and it's pretty crowded. And I clearly saw this dude get pushed into me by his buddies. But the guy, boom, stumbles into me, and he looks up at me. And instead of saying, excuse me, or I'm sorry, and feeding my ego, he just looked at me and laughed. And he was obviously drunk. And so I took that as a challenge. And I'm like, you want to step outside? He's like, oh, I don't care. And uh, we all went outside. <laughs> we all went outside. And um, that's what his buddies wanted, by the way. They pushed him into me and they set me up. Oh. And I fell for it. So I'm out there and I'm surrounded by like, seems like 30 people in a circle, just like in Lionheart or one of these ah, ones. Boom, boom. And, and this drunk kid, I'm just throwing him around, you know, like every time he dives at me, I sidestep him and throw him down. Boom. You know, um, uh, you know, step back and kept throwing him down. And then and then I'm, I'm like, OK, you know, I'm going to fucking uh, ground upon him a little bit. And I boom, I threw him down. I got on top of him and I get ready to start pounding him. Boom. His buddy, his brother, actually gave me a big football kick. Much like I talked about Kawada giving me earlier. Yeah. This one I never saw coming, and this one put me out. Wow. It is one of the only two times that I can say I've been out. This was the most out that I've been. Um, while I was out, uh, everyone jumped in the circle. Boom, 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 boom. His guys are holding my arm is behind my back, holding me up while they're punching me in the face. Dango jumps in and he gets his ass beat. And he knew he was going to because we're outnumbered, but that's what a loyal friend he was. Boom. Yeah. These other two dudes, uh, Jason and uh, uh, was it John? Uh, anyway, these guys from Upper Creek, we saw their reaction. They didn't do shit. Well, I was knocked out. I didn't do anything anyway, but, but they didn't do anything. And they were right there and watched it. Uh, next thing I know, it went from being loud and everybody, yeah, and us being surrounded, it went to like silence. And there's nobody around. And, uh, and I'm looking around I'm like, what the hell? And Dango's picking me up and uh, those other two guys are there. And I'm like, what, what happened? And he's like, uh, they explained over and over. I couldn't retain the memory, which I've seen happen a lot. This is the first time it happened to me 
where I kept saying, wait a second. Wait, where are we? And Dango would say, Jesus, Rob, we were at the mall. Yeah, we went to the mall. I remember that. What what happened? We got invited to the party. Oh, anyway, they had to explain it over and over. And, um, you know, I, I, I had a big swollen up. I looked like the elephant, man. And I was concussed. That was the first concussion that I got. Um, and everybody had jumped in. The smoke had cleared. They were all in the house. These two guys from Harbor Creek were telling me it all happened so fast that we, we didn't know what was going on until it was too late. Dango was the loyal friend. And that's true loyalty. Knowing he was going to get beat up, he jumped in the melee anyway and got beat up with me. The yeah. next day, the next day, there was another party that everybody was going to be at. I can't remember why Dango couldn't be there, but I went looking for these two guys by myself, <laughs> and they weren't there. But I went to the party with a big swollen up elephant man face, going, oh, "You know Jeff Gray, <laughs> you know, you know," because I felt like I got suckered by that brother. I never saw the kick coming. I wanted to get him back. And I'm glad they weren't there looking back at it. You know what I mean? There, there was nothing good would have come out of that. And I didn't have good intentions. And uh, who knows what would have happened. But I'm glad they weren't there the next day looking back. You know, if that was my kid, I would have said, hell no, you're not going back looking for them the next day, idiot. Look what happened to you. Big busted up lip and swollen eye. And, um, and But my point to, to, to that story is I'll always remember it for the loyalty that my friend Dango um, had and how many people have someone that's that loyal that you can count on to go through something bad with you and know that um, you're going to go through it together and come out together. It's yeah. important. Super important. Heck yeah. That's it, dude. Ending with a question, you know, um, ask yourself that, you know, how, where does loyalty rank for you giving it, receiving it? Do you deserve it? If people are loyal to you, is there, do you not deserve it? And and is it too important? You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's always, and like it says, it, it all depends on who you're interacting with too. It's like, and how they. And it depends on your values. Let me say this. It depends on your values, which we've talked mm -hmm. about a lot. And, it, you know, like if your bros think you're not being loyal to them, if you don't go watch football on Sunday and instead, you want to hang out with your girlfriend and you're like, oh, man, they're saying I'm not loyal to them anymore. Dude, uh, if it hurts because I'm asking you to choose between them, you should. You should have your own priority list and know where things, people, places, where everything falls on your priority list, at least to some extent. You know, be cognizant of that. It'll help you make your decisions and not feel bad about them. Right, right. And sometimes you're in a situation too where you're gonna your loyalty is gonna be put into question. And you're Absolutely. if you make a decision, there's no right or wrong decision sometimes, but the decision you make, you might have some regret. But either way, you're gonna kinda get that too. But it the loyalty kinda goes both ways too, because you hope that that friend or person will be loyal to you and understand where you're coming from too in certain aspects. Yep, and 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 you know, you know how expectations go. So if you're loyal to somebody you know, maybe you expect them to be as loyal back and then maybe sometimes they're not. Uh, but if you're doing it for the right reasons, then maybe that won't bother you and you'll still be loyal to that person. You know, like like if you're a parent, a kid doesn't know a parent. I'm not I don't have kids, but I got to imagine they would crush my heart all the time. Really? I mean, yeah. 
I'd be like, you're lying to me. Oh my, you know what I mean? Like, I can't imagine, you know, just yeah. stuff that I don't have in my normal life. But uh, <laughs> you're hiding that from me. What you're, what do you, what is going on here? I thought we had a bond, but um, I thought we were close. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm your dad. <laughs> hopefully, you remain loyal to the kid, even if the kid seems to not to do something that that, that makes you feel like your loyalty was breached <laughs> you know they got it that's gotta happen is what i'm saying gotta happen is what i'm saying but, but yeah priorities dude have your priorities um and, and i give you permission to rather be with your girlfriend uh than, than your bros uh, right off the bat but also like ask yourself do they deserve your your loyalty and if so why and that's a question you can ask about anybody if you're questioning whether you should be obligated to spend more time with them, do something more for them. You know what I mean? A friend calls up, wants me to help them move. I'm like, oh my God, like, does this person think I'm that good of a friend? Way better a friend than I think I am, you know? Like, am I so well, I'm gonna help them move? You know, and it's like, it's okay to be aware of where that particular quality falls on your priority list of values. Exactly, exactly sometimes those won't line up either, even with family members and stuff like that. So great. Battle Creek, Kit Likens was the guy, the first guy to let me in a ring. Um, you know, he had the ring in his backyard. He was a kickboxer. He was a promoter. And me and Dango, Robert and Eddie, we knocked on his door. Dude, we wrestle in the living room. We're going to be wrestlers when we grow up. We got to get in your ring, dude. And he was the first one to let us in the ring. He trained us to kickbox. He let us uh, open uh, at his kickboxing shows with wrestling matches and stuff. I'll always be loyal to him because I believe in loyalty like that. I went to other dojos when he was gone for a while, and and, and these guys didn't like him, and they dogged him. And at that young age, I didn't have quite – the stiff structure of values that I do now. And I kind of got swept into that for a while. And I've talked about that too. Um, maybe not on here, but I have on Instagram, I have on RV theology where I kind of got swept into, into all that, into the gossip, into someone else's perspective of the guy. And as an adult, I can say, you know, now that I'm back there, I owe him a phone call. He wants to know when's a good night for him to put on this event when I'm in town for the Kellogg center show at the end of September in Battle Creek, because he wants to do something. Maybe it's an award show, appreciation show, something. I don't know. But the fact is, I'll always feel loyal to him. And when he can uh, do something promotional to maybe help him in any way by dropping my name, then boom, my loyalty says he deserves it. And I'm like that. I'm like that with people. Heck yeah, Rob. Yep. Lil, I've known you so far. You're very much like that. So it's been very cool, man. So good stuff. I like it. Yeah. Cool. September 30th, right? Battle Creek. Is that when you're going there? Yeah. Battle Creek, Michigan. Uh, also, well, we'll be talking. Uh, yeah. Well, this weekend, Katie has a match in, in L.A. Oh. Uh, at the Globe Theater. It's an all-women's show. Uh, but um, oh, what's dude's name? Rampage Jackson is like the the general manager, the GM of it or whatever. And then it's all uh, like ladies and uh so that's what's going on this weekend. And then we'll talk again before the following week. I'll be in Hamburg, Pennsylvania. Oh, all right. My my yeah. side of the state or country here. All right. Cool, Rob. Yeah, you'll have to keep me posted about Katie. We'll talk about that next week, too. That'll be cool. Um, sweet. 
as far as anything else goes, guys, follow the RVD pod up above there. Go rvdpod.com. You can get all the clips. Uh, full episodes coming up up there. I found a little workaround maybe with uh, how to get the full episodes up there a little bit quicker. But yeah, if you guys tune in, uh, want to get it early, go to the Premier Streaming Network down below. My point right there. We go down below there every Friday at 4:20 p.m. You get the full video episode right here on uh, Premier Streaming Network. So bonus, bonus, bonus fact on loyalty. I- I'm so loyal to people that have been there, you know, long term and uh, and and you know, gotten into my inner circle, uh, you know, anyway, I have an agent in, in Hollywood and he told me like a few years ago that as long as he's represented me, he's never made any money off of me uh, because I always turn down the auditions he sends me. And when I get work, it's outside of him. I'm like, are you serious? Like, like, you know, he works hard, you know, sending out not just me, but other people sends out all the pictures, confirms I got these people. Here's, here's all this, you know, and then he gets all the info. Anyway, I feel bad about that. And he's a friend of mine. And and so after he said that, I started bringing him in on projects that I would maybe not even necessarily need a middleman. And I'd say, hey, I got this producer who wants me to do this thing, you know, and uh, can I have him call you? And and he would earn his 10 percent percent right away by by increasing the the, the 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 pay so that he was taken care of on top of it. And he would make my conditions better. And I was like, wow, man, you know, I, and that's just me being loyal to him. And so um, that's just something that stuck out in my mind because that's, you know, uh, something I wouldn't have to do. Um, but, uh, but I feel good about it because loyalty is important to me. It is important. And it, I think it definitely fulfills something an aspect of a life that like, you know, people, you put DTA, if you're like that, yeah, how is anybody else going to trust you too if you feel that way about, you know? Yeah, and some of those people, they're just loyal to a cause, not to somebody. And like I said, that's one way to live. <laughs> see you next we'll week, Don. Yep, see you next week, Rob. We'll see you guys next awesome. week here on One of the